0: And hello, friends, and we welcome you to another episode of Now Appalachia, heard here on the Authors Air on the Global Radio Network, as we continue profiling the outstanding authors with connections to the Appalachian region and how those connections influence and impact their works. I'm your host, Elliot Parker, and it's great to have you with us today. We are talking with Kentucky writer Chris Offit about his latest book, and it is a fantastic story that you are really going to enjoy. It is called The Killing Hills. And we're going to be talking with him about that book, as well as the other books that he've, he has written and his outstanding literary career. And Chris Offit joins us today. He's the author of the short story collections, Kentucky Straight and Out of the Woods. He's also the author of the novel, The Good Brother and the memoirs, The Same River Twice, No Heroes, and My Father, the Pornographer. His work has appeared in Best American Short Stories and Best American Essays, among many other places. He's also written screenplays for Weeds, True Blood, and Treem and has received fellowships from the Lannan and Guggenheim Foundations. And we're delighted to have Chris Offit with us here today to talk to us about his new book, The Killing Hills. So, Chris, uh, welcome to Now Appalachia. Great to have you here with us today.
1: Uh, thanks for having me.
0: I wanted to ask you first about sort of a question I think that ties into, into your book. And I read an essay that you wrote for Crime Reads about your story, and you you talk a lot about growing up, uh, in eastern Kentucky, in the middle of the Daniel Boone National Forest, and that you spent a lot of time growing up kind of wandering those woods alone, and you learned a lot about life and and sort of how things work from that experience, and then the rest of it you learned from reading. Can you talk about how that experience growing up in that environment and, and what you read and how much you read growing up helped you write
1: this kind of a story? Sure. I mean, I... Uh... There was about 200 people where I grew up. It was all dirt roads. And uh, to get to my buddies' houses, we walked uh, paths through the woods. And, in fact, I walked a, a path through the woods to the grade school. It uh, it cut probably a quarter mile off the route it, by going out the ridge and down the dirt road. Um, and I just really liked being in the woods. Uh, it was certainly preferable to being in, in the house. And uh, I spent most of my time after school in the woods, and then on the weekends, and often in the winter as well. You know, the winters were mild; it snowed and was beautiful. But uh, just being out there meant everything to me, and I really loved it. I thought it was, you know, this is retrospect. At the time, I didn't realize how how beautiful a, a a place it was. I just admired it, and uh, you know, got to know the woods and got to know all the animals that lived out there, and the plants and the flowers. And I had my favorite uh, areas where I knew the my favorite wildflowers would come up in the spring, and when they would come up, and everything like that. Um, I don't know if that was preparation to write this book, like you asked, but it was certainly a good. uh, um, It was a good. preparation to appreciate natural beauty wherever it is. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I, I really like uh, about
0: your book, about the Killing Hills, is that we have a, a great many colorful characters that uh, populate your story. Uh, and we're going to talk about Mick Harden, who's kind of their protagonist here in just a minute. But um, I, I wanted to ask you about something that you you wrote in chapter seven, which I think helps establish one of the key components of your book, which is uh, the setting and and the story in which this book takes place is really uh, a predominant character and really kind of uh, a character in and of itself in terms of how uh, these characters have to interact. And one of the things you you wrote in chapter seven is um, uh, you write everywhere else Folks live a little bit longer every year. Our lives are getting shorter on average. Ain't nowhere else in the country that's happening. 20 years ago, the lifespan here was longer. The hills are killing us. So so this place that Mick Harden comes back to after being away, uh and serving uh in iraq and afghanistan he comes back home uh this is really a a tough place and this is really a hard place that your characters occupy can you talk a little bit about uh the setting of your story and and what makes it unique and and why so many of the uh things that happen in the story can happen there
1: sure the uh uh you know appalachia is a big a big big area and there's a lot of versions of it and a lot of uh uh, people who live within the region who have very different, uh, circumstances than other people who live there. Mine in particular was just these, had been a, a former mining, uh, town that, that began its decline in the 1940s. And when most of the able-bodied, uh, men and women left and they moved a lot, moved up to Detroit to work in the factories then. Um, so, um, Part of the reason so few people were there is because of the the geography, the terrain. It's uh, the most uh, geographically isolated region in the United States, It's simply due to the the terrain. I mean, you know, Boone came through on the Cumberland Gap, and the Cumberland Gap was just wide enough for uh, him and a a carriage, but it, it couldn't accommodate the later westward expansion as the population moved west which further isolated the region. Uh, Similarly, after the Civil War, uh, Kentucky was a a border state in between the North and the South. And um, so after the war, neither side claimed it. Um, And that continued to uh, its isolation, uh, both physically and socially. And then, you know, by the time I came along, it was uh it was in the 1960s and uh um it was sort of a a case where a lot of people were living in, in the vest what i would call the vestiges vestiges of the of the 19th century uh which was uh, just kind of a pioneer mentality of independent resourcefulness uh a great distrust for uh authority whether it's uh the county sheriff or of uh, the politicians and I'm not sure of the question anymore <laughs>
0: <laughs> no i- th- i think you've answered it answered it perfectly well just just about you know, kind of the backdrop in which all these yeah. characters inhabit and, and and what goes on there
1: oh yeah the 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 life stream that's what started it i mean I learned that uh during the writing of the book uh, uh and was stunned by it it's true the people people there are just having a, a slightly Shorter lifespan than we did 20 years ago. And I was so, uh, uh, flabbergasted by that that I wanted to include it, which also actually led to the, the title. Um, there's always been, um, uh, a, a lack of access to good medical care in the hills. Um, but the lifespan has been also chipped away at, uh, through, um, the popularity of meth and, uh, Oxycontin. And now, Fentanyl
0: and heroin. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And your character, your lead character, Mick Harden, certainly knows almost every inch uh of that territory. He knows not only, you know, the the trees and the hills and how they're sloped and how they work, but he knows kind of uh, sort of the, the sociological breakdown of his town and his community. And we find him in the story uh, at the beginning that there, there's a body that's discovered. And we find him sort of AWOL from the military. And then he gets a request from his sister, um, uh, Linda, who is the new sheriff. You were talking about sheriff a moment ago, is the new sheriff uh, in the area. And she reaches out to him and asks Mick for his help uh in trying to solve this murder and she's really wanting it done quickly and discreetly. Can you talk a little bit about their relationship and and Linda and kind of the circumstances that she occupies because uh she is a little bit experienced inexperienced but at times uh, you kind of wonder if she really um is enjoying the job or likes the job that she has. So can you talk a little bit about the, their relationship and and the importance of her needing Mick to help her
1: solve this murder? Well first of all, uh one of the things I wanted to do was have the primary relationship with the protagonist, Harden be with a sibling, his sister, because that's uh uh I hadn't seen that done in a in a book before. And I also thought it would really emphasize um the 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 strength of family loyalty in the hills of Kentucky. Um and I had to figure out how to, to do it. She is the sheriff, she was uh, started out as a dispatcher, which she liked quite a bit, um, and then was appointed deputy mainly for political reasons, um, in order to have a woman on the uh, in the law enforcement office, and then the actual sheriff had a uh, died suddenly, and suddenly now she's the sheriff, uh, and a lot of people don't like that, you know. I mean, I'm talking about you know the the power the the uh, male. Power structure in the town: the politicians, the wealthy people, the mayor, the judge—that kind of stuff. They don't want a woman to have this uh, level of authority. And then suddenly there's a uh, uh, a homicide, and they essentially would prefer her to fail, uh, or bring in somebody to help, uh, and then take credit for the solution. Um, The other thing that has to do with it is. where I grew up. And even when I was a kid, there weren't that many shootings, you know, but when one did occur, most of the people knew who did it and why. And nobody would talk to the police about it because you just kind of wait and uh, to see how it's going to shake out. There was a kind of a social pressure on the family to take care of it itself. So I wanted to see what would, what would, what the narrative would turn out to be if there is a, a a woman had been killed in the hills and with no enemies from a good family. Everybody liked her, you know. She's a cashier, I think, at the Dollar General. And um, uh, in a way, it's not exactly the first homicide, but it's certainly the first one that is uh, uh, really uh, under mysterious circumstances. Uh, we- yes. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. No, I was going to just follow up with uh, their their. Mick and and Linda you know they're they're the uh, neither are uh they're they're both pretty much on their own their parents are dead they didn't grow up together but they're close with each other and uh they uh are are closer you know siblings can be closer than uh, a male and female couple for example um and I I enjoyed that with the male and female you know, there's really two options. They split up or they stick together. Siblings don't have those, you know, they can get in big fights and they're still, still going to be, uh, still be close, you know, still stuck with each other, so to speak. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Sometimes can't live with each other, but also can't live without each other too. Yeah. Very, very well said. Very well said. We're speaking with author Chris Offutt today here on Now Appalachia talking about his latest book called The Killing Hills. And Chris, I wanted to ask you, we have talked about, about Mick a little bit and, and Linda certainly, but one of the things I loved about your book is all the great character names that pop up. And I love we have a character named uh, Face Fatkin, who I thought was great. We have uh, Shifty Littleton. We have a character named uh, Junebug. I love the funeral director's name, uh, Marquis Sledge. And my dad was a funeral director, so I, I, that caught my attention immediately. But where did you come up with these great names for this colorful supporting cast that populates the book?
1: Some of them I invented, uh, and some of them were nicknames that I'd heard of. They're, I don't know if it's a cultural tradition or not, but there's a lot of nicknames back in the hills and I, they're mostly all affectionate. You know, they're not, uh, derogatory or anything. Even the ones that sound like they may not be all that, uh, warm are, are considered an affectionate nickname. So I wanted to use, use them. I and mean, then some of them I, I, uh, I'd heard the name Marquis Sledge. In fact, I know a guy named Marquis Sledge who lives here in Oxford and I just thought it's the, uh One of the greatest names of an actual person i'd ever had ever uh, heard, and so I wanted to use that. I asked his permission and he, he said he didn't mind We'll see if, uh, I I hope that he doesn't mind the depiction of of uh, his namesake in this book, but i I really just kind of made him up and had a had a blast with it, but a lot of them too were people that I knew and the names I heard when I was uh you know still living in the hills.
0: Very good, and I want to ask you about one of those characters uh, in the story. And um, um, pardon my pejorative, but he's named his name is fucking Barney, and he seems to know or has some information on who killed Noni, but he doesn't say it. But we find out that Barney is working for someone else who uh, isn't necessarily a part of this of this community, uh, this mountain community that you write about. So what is going on there? And we are introduced to somebody named Charlie Flowers, Is who is Barney, who is Barney, who is Barney is working for. So what's going on there? Who is Barney working for? He's working for Charlie Flowers. Why is he working for Charlie Flowers? And what's going on with that relationship there?
1: I, uh, I think, uh. At the, I think it's to talk about that too much is uh would give away too much of the book uh, in my uh in my opinion. Um the name Charlie Flowers is actually from another novel that I really love called Dead City by a writer named Shane Stevens. It's out of print. Um I love the character named Charlie Flowers and so it's sort of an homage in a way to uh to the character invented by Shane Stevens. But I uh and you know I'm working on the third book in this series now and Charlie Flowers uh, plays a bigger role in it, but I'm kind of reluctant to discuss the intricacies of the plot. Um, Especially if for people who have not read the book yet, I wouldn't want to give anything away. Okay. Fair enough. But, but needless
0: to say, Barney is um, not willing to cooperate with Mick. I guess we should say that uh, in, in terms of, uh, sharing what he thinks he knows happened to Noni. Would that be fair? a fair statement to make? I would
1: say that when it comes down to, he, Mick has a slight leg up uh, in terms of gaining cooperation than anyone else, simply because he's not operating as a law enforcement officer. He is the sister, I mean, he's the brother of the sheriff, and people know that. Um, but, you know, again, there's a, a certain... Unwillingness to cooperate, uh, with, uh, the sheriff. I mean, the, the sheriff is the only law enforcement in a, in a county in Kentucky, you know, has 120 counties and, um, it goes, they used to call it the high sheriff. And now I think they're hiring in constables, uh, to help deal with drugs and all, but there aren't a lot of, uh, uh, city police because there aren't that many cities and, uh, or maybe there's a, there's some town municipalities that have smaller police forces. So, um the reluctance that people have to to talk to authority uh law enforcement, Mick is able to or tries to circumvent simply by virtue of not being uh, of an official capacity, and also he knows the hills really well, and he knows these people uh Barney's mother, for example, dated his dad thirty years ago, and it this is a, a world where uh everybody knows your history which is part of the reason uh it would propel some people to leave you know they get tired of that uh uh hanging over you all the time um where they know you they know your mother and father they know the mistakes they made you know your grandparents all the way down um and he t- kind of takes advantage of that to to get information in order to help his sister out
0: excellent very good very good uh, we are speaking with Chris Offit here on Now Appalachia. His new book is called The Killing Hills, and we'll come back to that uh, in just a moment. But Chris, as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, you're the author of some short story collections. You've written some memoirs. You've done screenplays uh, as well for Weeds and True Blood. Um, of all those different genres, including this book that, that you've written in, what was writing this book easier, more difficult, or about the same when compared to the other works that you've done?
1: I'd also like to add, uh, the last novel, which was called Country Dark, came out, uh, three years ago with Grove. And, um, it is the, uh, it is set in the same place as the Killing Hills, the same county, the same world. Uh, the only difference is it was took, takes place in the 1960s and into, into the early 1970s. Now, as to answer your question, uh, I had more fun writing this than anything else. Uh, and, I think that I wanted to write uh, a novel, you know, in this, along these lines for a long time. So I had plenty of time to think about it. And I just, uh, once I got hold of Mick in my head and was able to think, well, this, this guy, I could, I could spend some time with him and see what he does and, and have him go around and talk to people and see what they all say and do. Um, I just had a blast with it. In fact, I finished it. Well, during the, I finished it just before the quarantine began in 2020, I guess, and then revised it uh, during quarantine. And when I was done, there wasn't anything else to do but go out in the woods. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll just sit down and write another book about him. So I wrote a, a what would be a sequel, I suppose, uh, to this book set in a, set in the same place with most of the same characters, uh, in it.
0: And I know that in that Crime Reads essay that I mentioned earlier, you had made a statement or mentioned something in there that um, a lot of people have categorized The Killing Hills as being sort of a crime fiction story, but you felt like there were um, crime story-esque elements in your other works as well. Why do you think maybe this one was classified immediately as a crime story where maybe some of those other ones weren't?
1: Well, I think it's uh, the answer to that is... uh very simple and uh, there's a dead body in the first chapter Uh, (laughs) and I think that just sends a message to uh, reviewers and marketing people at the publisher and everybody else like this is what this kind of this is what this uh novel is going to be there's going to be and there's an investigation into it I think that's probably the big uh the big kind of tip-off is there's a guy going around trying to find out who killed Nani um whereas the other everything else I wrote involved, uh, illegal activities or the last book was about, uh, you know, a guy who drove for a bootlegger. I mean, there's stolen money in prison and two or three homicides in it, but, um, it was, uh, it was not regarded as, uh, an out and out, uh, overt crime novel. So I really think it was just that dead body at the opening, uh, did the trick.
0: Very good. I know that some authors that have. Uh, influenced you in some way and authors that you've read a lot of are Megan Abbott, uh, Attica Locke, uh, Sarah Grant. I know you've mentioned them as authors that you've read a lot of. What is it about their authors or their work and others? You mentioned Patricia Highsmith and some others in addition to them. What is it about their work that uh, influences you or inspires you uh, as you think about writing uh, crime fiction? Well,
1: you know, the canon of American Crime fiction sort of began, I would say, in the 30s. You could argue that it goes back to Poe uh, before that, but um, it began in the 30s, flurries through the 40s and 50s, especially with a little paperback, uh, short paperback novels. Um, it was mostly the province of men, you know, men writers writing for a man market. In those days, there was huge magazine and paperback markets aimed at uh, very specific demographics, and that's what these crime novels were. From then, uh, from the then, were at a certain point, women became, uh, uh, you know, be- began writing them, and I thought what they brought to the to the genre was really interesting. And you know, the the, before that, the traditional things with men had been, um, you know, uh, whiskey, romance, and violence, and uh, brooding, uh, you know, doggedness, and all. And I thought that the The some of these women who entered the field included that, of course, but brought to it other elements that the male writers had neglected of uh, psychology, uh, greater uh, interiority, um, and some sort of uh, psychological understanding and some compassion. So I wanted to, I learned that from them, but uh, I mean, I read constantly, I I read, uh, well, I read every day. Um, And I'm always looking for new uh, works and occasionally we'll reread a a favorite. I did that during the lockdown. Um, So it's, it's just a case now. And now I I like a lot of the European writers who were influenced by the American writers from the, the 60s, 50s through the 70s. And if their work filtered through the, Uh, the aftermath of World War II when the entire continent was devastated and then gave rise to the philosophy of existentialism. Those things infiltrated their books. And I really like that. And I've tried to, I think that is part of this book as well. And part of uh, Mick, the, the protagonist, part of his attitude. He's a guy who is a combat veteran who's just tired of war and, uh, doesn't want people to die anymore. And he knows that if he helps his sister, he will be able to potentially halt future killings in the hills based on vengeance.
0: You're listening to Now Appalachia. We are speaking with author Chris Offit about his latest book, The Killing Hills. And Chris, I wanted to ask you about another character um, in your story who I really enjoyed, and that was Tanner Curtis, who's a a younger character. And we've talked a lot about Mick kind of knowing his way around and and knowing the, the people in the hills so well and his relationship with Linda and then some of these other colorful characters and their names and how they inhabit different spaces in the story, but but Tanner's kind of interesting because he is, in some ways, viewed as sort of an outsider. But I just wanted you to tell uh, tell us a little bit uh, about him and, and why is he kind of p- depicted as sort of or pictured as or treated like an outsider uh, in the community?
1: Uh, well, in, the, in the, the book, Tanner Curtis is the uh, son of a, a couple who everyone knows, everybody. And they had tried to have a baby for many years and were unable to. And uh, Tanner Curtis was adopted. And at the time, he was the first adoption in this small town. And, you know, this was the kind of thing that would be in the paper, and everybody knew about it. Um, at the same time, this is a, a culture in a place where um, family is everything. And there was, uh, you know, some of the more conservative people, uh, bigots and whatnot, would... Look askance at a guy like Tanner Curtis. Did he actually belong here? He wasn't really from there, despite the fact that he grew up there.
0: As we finish up here uh, with you today on Now Appalachia, Chris, I wanted to give you an opportunity to – let our listeners know uh, how they can get in contact with you. First of all, if they have questions about uh, the killing Hills or they want to talk to you about that or any of your short story collections or your previous novels or memoirs, how can they get in contact with you? First of all, and then where can they get copies of the killing
1: Hills? Well, you can get in contact with me through my website, which is Um There's a, that's the best way. Um, Depending on where they live, they should go to their independent bookstore to get a copy of this book. That's that's my top recommendation. Is to support the independent bookstores. They keep literature alive uh, and keep uh, in, in a in a and they're under fire. You know, literacy in general is under fire uh, in this country and has been for a while. Even now, education and the act of reading, of the act of learning history, is under is under fire. Um, so go to the independent bookstore and order it. Excellent. Excellent. We have been talking with, uh, Chris Offit here
0: today on now Appalachia. He is the author of the killing Hills, as well as the author of the short story collections, Kentucky straight and out of the woods. And uh, several other novels and memoirs and screenplays, and we've been delighted to have him with us here today. A native of Kentucky, he teaches in the creative writing MFA program at Old Miss at the University of Mississippi. Chris, uh, you've given us a fantastic book—one of the best uh, crime books that I have read, crime fiction stories I've read uh, in a long time. It's fast-paced. It's satisfying. You've got some great characters and great flavor of those eastern Kentucky mountains, so congratulations on the book, and uh, thanks so much for coming on Now Appalachia to talk with us about it. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We want to take a moment as we finish up here on Now Appalachia to give a special shout out and thanks to the executive producer of Now Appalachia. Her name is Pam Stack. We appreciate all the support that she does, making sure uh, these podcasts get produced and put uh, available to you through a variety of different podcast platforms. So Pam, thank you so much for all of that. And thank you so much for being the executive producer of Now Appalachia. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That's going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well
1: and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next. Stay tuned for more outstanding podcasts from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.